Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Kenem. Sitting across from me this week is the one, the only, Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot of entertainment news to discuss with you, so hit us up on social media. You can find our accounts on OchoDuroParlayHour.com and hit us with that hashtag, Hashtag ODPH, because we want to interact with you because there's a lot to cover. Biggest story of the week had to be Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and the mystery cup of coffee. Yes, that is uh, since been digitally removed. Right, but we're gonna break down the episode. You know the deal. If you're not into Game of Thrones, Pad, what are we doing for you? We are gonna leave a uh, time tag in the description of the episode. So basically, if you go hit more or whatever it is on the player you're listening to, uh, I will put in the description where to jump to in the episode. If you do not care for Game of Thrones or if you are a little bit behind and you don't want to be spoiled. We're doing that for you because we care. But we're going to jump right into the episode. Spoilers talk in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think of the episode? Starbucks Gate. No, uh, in all seriousness, I thought, it, I, you know, as much as people hate the episode, I thought it was all right. Now, it wasn't the best episode of all time. It wasn't something that'll go down in the annals of history as the greatest television episode in all time. But it was, it was still good. You know, there was kind of the, like there was kind of the resolution I was expecting from the end of the Battle of Winterfell, because I, I said on last week's episode that the end of the Battle of Winterfell episode so it kind of felt like, you know, a hard stop that, you know, the emergency brakes got applied to the vehicle, if you will. And, and you know, we didn't see the full end. I felt like we got the full end of that. And then kind of the latter half of the episode, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, while I understood it, I don't quite agree with the way they did things. Yeah, one of the biggest issues I guess I have with this season, it's not a big one because you've heard the show. I mean, I'm very happy with how the show's been thus yeah. far. The pacing because they're trying to cram in so much before the end. Mm-hmm. I think a lot is getting lost in the shuffle. I think there's yeah. there's a lot that is feeling a bit forced because of time constraints. Right. It almost feels like, and I, I'm just speculating off the top of my head here, it, it almost feels like you know they were strolling along, going through the seasons and going through the motions. Oh, tie up this loose end. Nah, we won't worry about it. We got plenty of time. And, it, you know, it's almost like when you're in college, oh, I won't do that paper that's due, that major 50% of my grade paper. I got time. And then it's like 48 hours before you got to write a 10-page paper, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, my biggest issue with this episode, and I'm going to kind of use this in pro wrestling terms, if this makes sense. If not, I'm going to just try to explain it best I can. In wrestling terms, when they have a stacked card, and they have main event match and main event match, and in between those matches, they do throw a, a lesser match to give the crowd a chance to reboot themselves, mm-hmm. a chance to recover, mm-hmm. so they can come back and make a big loud noise because of one match, they everybody's screaming loud and they're tired and they're drained from it. They need a match to recover, and, and usually there's a good space of time that they get to work, and then they come back and they have their next big match, and the crowd's re- re-energized. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can give a comic example if, if people are, some of our listeners aren't pro wrestling fans. It's almost like with uh, Marvel's the first thing that came to mind. Marvel has their big, you know, story of the year. A couple of years ago, it was Secret Empire. Uh, right now, they're doing, what is it, War of the Realms? Yep. I think is what they're doing. There's been a space of time in between kind of their big major storylines where they're not doing them back to back because people be like, all right, listen, this is a little much, a little fast. You know, they, they got the big major 
storyline, and then they go a little while before you know things kind of simmer down, and they kind of go through the motions and do their thing before they ramp back up to their next big story. Yeah, that's the analogy is perfect way to describe it. And obviously, going in with the time constraints with Game of Thrones, we're coming off the Battle of Winterfell and mm-hmm. Arya Stark and everything that she did that episode. That they're now jumping right into the last war. Yeah, that I guess some I guess, am- and some amount of time has passed, but. Much like The Walking Dead, we don't know. No, we don't know. There was no time stamp. Not like in Avengers Endgame where they flashed five years later. So you right. knew exactly. And, and, and to be fair, Game of Thrones has never really given us a time frame of like when things take place. To you know, other than the flashback sequence at the beginning of I can't remember season four or five. You know, it's it, things have been in sequentially in order. And yes, some time has passed, but never to the to the extent that we get about three quarters of the way through the episode and you know, they've got the plan set for what they're going to do to King in King's landing. John's gone off with his forces. They're, they're going down King's road. Daenerys is going off to her fortress and they're going to kind of gather some supplies that they need. And then they're going to go off to King's landing. Her forces get decimated. And then, you know, much like a Thanos finger snap, Oh, Hey, we're magically in King's landing. Yeah. It's just one of those kind of weird pacing issues that is just, it throws off because as the episode starts off, they're celebrating the big battle of Winterfell. Yeah, and, and this is essentially the last night at Winterfell mm-hmm. for a lot of characters for yeah. different reasons. Yeah, but they're going through the celebrations. Every character is having a kind of their own bit of farewell moment, so yeah. to speak. And you start seeing the tension boil over with Daenerys and Sansa, mm-hmm. and, and the fallout that Daenerys did not lead them to victory. No, it just it felt like no, it didn't happen. But she is trying to make up for it. Obviously, she did make one power play move. Yeah. to try regaining. Some ground. Mm-hmm. Pat, yeah. Break uh, it down. So we all know Gendry in Game of Thrones is uh, Robert Baratheon's bastard son, much like Jon Snow, what we thought was the bastard son of uh, Ned Stark. Uh, Daenerys, out of the blue, although a couple people kind of predicted this might happen, Daenerys out of the blue in, in the you know party after the battle in, in the Great Hall or whatever it's called in Winterfell goes, oh, hey, uh, Gendry, you're Robert Baratheon's illegitimate son right now, aren't you? She goes. He goes. Yeah. So she goes. Uh, who's running Storm's End right now? Of course, Storm's End is the you know the land or realm that House Baratheon uh, controls. And of course, you know Robert Baratheon had thought he had some sons, but uh, as we know, he really didn't. And so you know, Gendry's kind of it. And she goes. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm. You're, I'm going to legitimize your claim. You are no longer Robert Baratheon's bastard son. You are Robert Baratheon's first trueborn son, and you are the Lord of Storm's End. And for this move, especially in her state of mind, because obviously at the beginning of the episode, they were burying the dead that had fallen uh-huh. in the Winterfell. And obviously her losing Ser Jorah, that was a big moment for her. So trying to rebound from that. Right. And she's, of course, still playing chess with trying to reclaim the Iron Throne. And she sees what's going on with John, And in her head, she goes, I need to shore up as many forces as I can. What better way to bring, than to bring in an entire house who, let's be honest, the guy may not like me. He may not hate me. Who's to say? I, you know, personally, I'm not really sure how he felt about Daenerys. They, they never outright said it on the show, at least that I remember. You know, how better to get forces and someone to bend the knee to you than, hey, I took you from being a nobody and made you a somebody. Exactly. The loyalty would be earned there. And especially lining up, because one thing I was picking away from this episode, too, with Daenerys is Mm -hmm. she was obviously trying to get back into win the throne mode. Yeah. Like, she went back. It was. She's like, that was fun and all, but uh, back to the real task. Yeah. And obviously, I think she was kind of taking point of taking a shot at Sansa and lining up her 
ducks in a row, so to speak, mm-hmm. because Sansa's still gre- grieving from losing Theon. And yeah. Then, you know, when she pins the Stark pin on him that gives him his farewell, too. I mean, yep. you know, obviously when he didn't survive the Battle of Winterfell. Daenerys is making her moves, and she's trying to align herself that if she has to go to war with Sansa, she is now slowly starting to get everybody involved. I'll say, you know, Daenerys is very much the polar opposite of Cersei in every way, shape, and form, obviously. But we talked about a couple weeks ago where Cersei's banking on, you know, you know what Cersei was banking on one outcome and one you know end result of the you know the the dead coming down from the north. She wasn't thinking of anything else. Daenerys is playing like ten games of chess simultaneously, where she's not only thinking of you know all right, what will happen if Sansa agrees with me? What will happen if Sansa doesn't agree with me? What if Sansa agrees with me, but she's really playing the long game and eventually she's going to stab me in the back? Yeah, this is all something that is coming to head too, and especially due to the time constraints. Everything's moving so fast that yeah. you just really got to kind of step back and go, okay, wait, what's going on? Yeah. Because at this point, too, her relationship with Jon Snow is dead in the water. Yeah, because it's a little awkward. I mean, I get that it's not uncommon in this time and in this period for you know family members to marry each other. There are some who aren't kosher with it, and uh, clearly neither of them are one of those people. Right. This is just one of those kind of real roadblocks from mm-hmm. if... if Things were different. It'd be a lot different, and probably an easier ending to the story for him. But right, but you get the thing is, Daenerys still has feelings for him, and she says so in the episode. Yeah, she outright says it. So yeah. now it's going to get real messy. So what her plan is now to is kind of line up her armies. So she is going to take what's over. Left. Yeah, what's left and take over what she can. And she feels so confident. And dare I say, arrogant about yeah. going after Cersei because Sansa is trying to tell her we need to give our armies a rest. Yeah, we need to regroup. And Daenerys is. I think at this point, so hurt about what's happened yeah. that she is just not seeing straight. And she's like, no, I need to make sure I set that example. I need to be the one that leads the army. I need to be the one that's queen. Yeah, no, Daenerys is absolutely being a little, you know, bullheaded about this whole thing because I get she wants to get the outcome she wants. She wants to be on the Iron Throne. And but no, yet Sansa's absolutely right. You know, the the her forces just went through the most grueling battle any of them will ever experience in their lives that we're aware of. I can't imagine whatever battle is upcoming in the final couple episodes is going to be any worse than what they went through against the living dead. Exactly. You know, but she Sansa's absolutely right. The forces do need a little bit of a rest. Now, I'm not saying a couple years rest, but Lord, they need a hot minute to rest. Because, you know, you look, you see their forces, at least what Sant or what Daenerys had at the end of the episode, it ain't much. It's not enough to win you the war. And I think Daenerys is being partially blinded by, you know, just her constantly feeling and seeing that Sansa's against her and doing everything she can to stop her. Exactly. And this is where it's coming into play because Sansa knows her army very well. Mm-hmm. She knows that her army needs rest, especially yeah. if you take a look at how... They were celebrating just the fact they survived. I mean, with Brianna and Tarth and Jamie Lannister, and then yeah. that, that fan moment happened yeah. where they got together. Hey. And then Arya Stark, who was the hero of the day, got a marriage proposal by Gendry yeah. and turned it down. Yeah, that that wasn't entirely surprising, though, because it's like she said, she's never been a girly girl. Like, she never, you know, outside of maybe the first five minutes of the first episode of the season, she never struck me as one that like, okay, if she makes it through this one, this is all sudden done. She's going to settle down and have some kids. No, she never struck me as that. No. And obviously she's still focused on her mission. to kill Cersei. It's like, she's still got a list. She still has a list. She's ready to go. The hound is on his way to King's Landing Mm -hmm. to everybody's slowly making their moves. But the thing about this for the episode, this all happened within like the first 30 minutes. Yeah. Of the episode. Yeah. That basically, we only had like the quick break 
from the Battle of Winterfell to recover. And, and granted, it's TV time. Yeah. You watch it, depending on when you watch it. And it was a good week, but still, it's such an epic episode of 80 minutes of just a battle that you still need that time to recoup and kind of you know refocus on the plot. But this one jumped right into it because by 30 minutes into the, this week's episode, they're heading down to King's Landing. Right. I mean, for us, it doesn't seem like much. But I mean, looking back, it feels like there was maybe a little bit of time that had passed because, you know, there wasn't just one pyre they were using to burn the dead bodies on. There had to be. No, I didn't count. I'm kind of ballparking off of my memory. There had to be 20 plus pyres there. And that's not something you can easily do overnight. I don't care how many people you got. So there's been some amount of time has passed. But no, it does feel a little bit rushed from, oh, hey, battle's over. Let's party and celebrate. Understandably so, too. And we're marching to King's Landing. Yeah, just kind of. You know, the timestamp, I guess, is the biggest thing that was throwing me off. My biggest thing with the episode was, you know, my biggest complaint with the episode was, okay, one, Daenerys all of a sudden appearing in King's Landing, but with no, at least to our knowledge, no ships. But then where in the you know what is John? Like John was riding down to King's Landing on horseback, like unless something stopped him or got in his way, which I can't think of what it is. You know, Cersei's new boyfriend is, is hanging with her in King's Landing. You know, outside of that, she really doesn't have any forces for her going for her. I, you know, where in the world is John? That was another issue, too. Everybody was so spaced out because, I mean, Arya and the Hound took off on their own after they had their good. Well, the Hound had his goodbye, yeah. more or less, with yeah. Sansa. Yeah. And, you know, kind of a seeing where Sansa is at this moment, too, is like you almost get the sense that it's going to come down between her and Cersei at the end. Could be. You get that feeling. Yeah. That she is just. So far in advance of what she's seeing, and she's seeing the big picture, which I don't think anybody's giving her credit for. No. She's regrouping at Winterfell. She's mm-hmm. She is playing the long game here, which is a smart move. I'll say just shout out to Sansa and Arya for being the one, the only one to make uh, the Hound smile. Absolutely. Like in that entire universe, like he's he hardly ever smiles. Arya and Sansa, they can get him to smile. And to see now that he's going off to the final battle, and we're probably going to have him versus the mountain. Oh, Lord, that's going to be a knockdown drag him out. Which we're waiting for. But like Pat touched upon. With Jon Snow left, he says goodbyes to Samuel Tarly and Tormund, and you got and Ghost too. We can't forget yeah, about Ghost. Yeah, Ghost has, says his farewell, presumably. Pre- presumably, because the sense that you're getting here is nobody's coming back from this one. No, but it almost like said it almost felt anticlimactic because everybody wasn't supposed to survive the Battle of Winterfell, and now here they are. Right. So as they're heading south to King's Landing, mm-hmm. now this is where it's going to get kind of interesting because as they're plotting to go, and they're going on Daenerys' lead because John did bend the knee and, and yeah. was giving his full support to Daenerys. Well, so which the North seemingly is like, all right, we're cool with you. It's just Sansa and, and Arya really quite aren't. No, and they find out the truth, too, of the patronage. Yeah, they find out that, but I think we got to get back to the ghosting for a minute. We do kind of find out at least, you know, if you just kind of look. They don't outright tell us how Ghost survived, but we can kind of infer how Ghost survived uh, by the skin of his teeth uh, because he lost an ear, cuts and bruises and all that, which, holy cow, don't get me fighting a dire wolf. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that was, that was nuts, but no, yeah, so... Back to what you were saying, though. Yeah, now that Sansa especially knows the patronage, and yeah. she, and she knows the truth about Jon Snow. Yeah, this is a curveball that it, it, it's funny because everybody's not supposed to say anything, but yet they're all talking. Right, and I know that's been a complaint of some people. They're like, "Oh, why didn't we sh- we see the reactions of of Arya and Sansa when they found out his patronage? We didn't have to. We did because if you go back and you watch that scene, and, and John like is imploring them. Like he makes them, he says multiple times, he's like, you can't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone. And if you just listen and look at how Sansa and Arya react, they're like, yeah, of course. Like, you're our brother. Why would we? Why? If you ask us to swear we won't say anything, why wouldn't we? And then he says it. It cuts away. 
you get the reaction by the fact that Sansa goes and tells Varys. She tells uh, Tyrion. Tyrion, and it like it goes from just you know Bran, uh, Samwell, and John and Daenerys knowing to like it goes from that they know to like eight people know. Everybody knows because now his his parentage is now out there. Oh, it's in the wild open. So I know people are complaining, and I get it. And to a certain degree, yeah, I agree with it. But uh, you find out their reaction by the fact that Sansa squeals to like the first five people she sees. And I think this is more of a power play against Daenerys too. Yeah. I think that fully was because she's obviously in this to win it. So as the forces are moving down to King's Landing and everybody's talking about this, they are surprised and greeted by Euron Greyjoy, mm-hmm. who is allegedly the father-to-be of Cersei's child, Yep, in theory. So that's what she claims, but man, you I can't take anything she says seriously about as far as I can throw her. And especially, too, because later in the episode, Jamie takes off on Brienne. Yeah. And Brienne from uh, Tarther, yeah. and he takes off for King's Landing to go confront Cersei or whatever is going to happen there. We don't know, but right because because th- the thing back with Cersei's you know child at the same token, like the end of last season, she told you know when Jane she told Jamie about the pregnancy, you know he he, he said oh are you going to say it's ours and she goes oh yeah now she's done a one eighty and she's like oh no it's it's uh, yours you're on yeah so even we don't know who's kidding we is. don't know what's going on there but he obviously he had the the tearful goodbye so to speak mm-hmm. with Brienne. so now he's on his way to king's landing but everybody's so spaced out that when the army first arrives yeah that they are ambushed by Euron Greyjoy's forces mm-hmm. and you see one dragon is taken out oh in the worst way of just all, all those barbed arrows or whatever they are that were back in season i want to say was sex you know that they tr- they tried using on dracaris when uh daenerys's forces took on the lannisters and and missed uh no they don't just have one every single ship has them yeah they've been waiting on this because while well, everybody's been dealing with the night king's forces they've been preparing for this i'll say as strong as those dragons are he had no chance there is no chance no and obviously this has been daenerys's safety blanket so to speak yeah that, that's been her ace in the hole that oh even if everything goes to you know what i've still got dragons exactly now she doesn't she no. only has one left and that's the other thing too is when her forces she's got to be careful that one she's down to one dragon but b when she shows up to king's landing and they're out at the outside wall if I'm not mistaken, every tower on that wall has got one of those uh, crossbow giant arrow things mounted to it. Oh, yeah. They were fully prepared. Oh, yeah. And, Cersei ain't been sitting on her butt. And Euron's forces take out everybody yeah. that Daenerys came down. And especially, they grab a hostage. They grab Melisandre. Yes. Which comes into a very big point to, for the end of the episode, too. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, Daenerys and... Whatever forces she has left, so to Which speak, ain't much. It didn't look like much. No, it it almost reminded me of uh, the final battle in Return of the King, where Aragorn leads what forces are left or what he can spare from Gondor and Rohan, and they go to the Black Gate to give Frodo time to destroy the ring. And it's like, all right, this is hilariously small. Right. So they show up to the front gates of King's Landing, and they are greeted by Cersei the Mountain mm-hmm. and Cersei's. Uh, inner circle, so to speak, and who is standing right with them too? Well, we've been pronouncing the name wrong the entire time, so apologies. Uh, it's Masandi who's been missing. But so, uh, and the other thing we neglected to mention was uh, when Euron Greyjoy's forces attacked Daenerys's ships. Who <laughs> they're they're sitting ducks because they dropped anchor. Uh, they get washed up on the shore, and Grey Worm starts freaking out. Where's Masandi? Where's Masandi? Where's Masandi? And then we never get resolution to that. But when Daenerys's forces finally show up to the King's gates of King's Landing, uh, yeah, they got Masandi. They have Masandi right at the top 
top of the gates. And like I said, there's so many characters that are just kind of misplaced here that we apologize. We were, we were saying Melisandre. But Melisandre is on the top there. Mm-hmm. And they have a very big piece that they are trying to negotiate with to get one side to fall or the other. Mm-hmm. Because Daenerys is saying, if you do anything to Melisandre, then obviously she is just going to unleash. It's like she's going to go full Mad King on him. Yes. And at this point... Which is about the worst thing she can do. Oh, absolutely. And seriously, is like, if you want her back, you have to bend the knee and surrender yourself, and that'll happen. And they get into that standoff where Tyrion has to come out, and and of all people... Yeah, he's got to beg. Yes, he, he has to go beg and try, you know, making peace with Cersei, who's just not hearing this. Right, because I think at this point, you know... Daenerys is one half step away from going full Mad King because everything is unraveling in front because her plan, but for the most part, it's had some bumps and it's had some hiccups, but it's been pretty smooth riding from the time she really set out on this plan of I'm going to take back what's rightfully mine. But now, at least in front of her, everything is unraveling in the worst possible way. And she's ready to go scorched earth and just torch everything in, in if it means she gets what she wants. And that's not what she wants because the entire time she's been coming back and Tyrion's been kind of trying to win people over for her they've both been going listen i'm not my father i'm not going to make the same mistakes he does he did she does this she everyone is going to see well you're no better than your father why should we follow you exactly because when misandi's final words what does she yell out uh, well i don't know if she necessarily yells it out or she just kind of says it but she says dracarys yes which is odd because dracarys is dead no, but that's where the moment is, ignite everybody and burn everybody down. Oh, okay. Well, so she ain't helping matters. No, she is just saying, take everybody out because she knows that she is not surviving this and the mountain yeah. does what the mountain does and decapitates her. Mm-hmm. And at this point, this is the final pin that snaps Daenerys and she is just ready to unleash whatever she has left. Yeah, she's got a real mad look in her eye. Yes. So that's where they leave it off. John's at. somewhere. John is somewhere. Jamie's on his way. Arya and the Hound are on their way, but they're not together. This is just such a bad plan that Sansa knew from the get-go. Yeah. And this is where Sansa is really... Sansa is going to be like, I'm did not going to say I told you so, but I told you so. Well, I think that she's saying if you're going to do this, you're going to kill off all your tr- your forces. And I'm just going to come swooping in. And I'm going to look like such the better leader mm-hmm. that she that she knows long game that this is going to win for her. And the only thing, like I said, in final thoughts with the episode, I just felt like this was just all crammed in so much for the 60 minute episode that it just didn't really have time to breathe. Mm-hmm. That this is just like boom, 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 boom. That there's just so much going on. Yeah. That it was like okay for us as a fans to recover and kind of process everything. Didn't really have that lot of time to do it, especially going into the final war, which they only have two episodes left now. Right. So what do you think is going to be next week's episode? Man, I don't know. It's it's going to be wild to see. I think we might finally figure out where John is and what the heck he's been doing, you know, on his road down to King's Landing. And maybe we'll start to see some of the final battle. Yeah, this has to be because after here, there's two more episodes left, like we said. Mm-hmm. They have to really sum up everything. Yeah. So things are going to be moving at an even faster pace. Yeah. Which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, to be honest with you. I really yeah, don't. I don't know. I'm kind of struggling with that myself, but I'm definitely going to be watching. Oh, yeah. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation on social media. What was your thoughts on Game of Thrones this week? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the OTPH podcast, and we have to talk about post-Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. 
because the spoiler embargo has been lifted. Yep. But in case you're trying to still duck spoilers, which uh-huh. we will try not getting into too many, we are going to be talking about the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, which dropped Monday. Yeah, like as soon as you know the Russo brothers imposed a spoiler embargo lifted, that trailer came out. Right, so you have been forewarned. We are going to be breaking down the trailer, so if you've been trying to avoid it, we're giving you a fair warning now, but in 3, 2, 1, Pad, what did you think of Spider-Man Far From Home? I love the trailer. You know, I liked the first trailer, but understandably it felt a little empty, but that was because it came out pre-Avengers Endgame, and they were obviously kind of leaving some things out because you didn't know how Avengers Endgame was going to go. Now that Avengers Endgame is out and the you know spoiler embargo has been lifted, man, this movie looks awesome. This movie looks absolutely incredible thus far from what we've seen. And this trailer definitely did its job coming out July 2nd mm-hmm. at the box office. So, yep. And they open up right with Tom Holland, too, explaining. And I know everybody's complaining, like, oh, we get it. There's spoilers, spoilers. We're just trying to make sure because there's still some people that have not seen the movie. Yeah. They're getting fairly warned. Hey, we're talking it. So if you're trying to avoid it. We're giving you a fair warning because we don't want to ruin the movie of Avengers Endgame for you because of how epic it was. Yeah. But Holland, which I was very surprised, he, he actually seemed very composed because usually the, at this kind of moment, he kind, yeah. of, he kind of gets a little you know amped up and, yeah. and going in interviews. But he really kept his, his composure and kicked into the movie. And it starts off with Spider-Man looking at an Iron Man mural. Yeah, and there's even one shot where, because this movie takes place minutes after Avengers Endgame t- uh, happened. And, you know, uh, Peter's on the plane with Happy and, you know, they're talking about the uh, and events during Avengers Endgame. And you just look at Peter's face and he's red-eyed. He's He's been crying for hours. Yeah, the the gravity of losing Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. has really taken its toll on Peter, especially because Peter looked out to him as, as a mentor. And, he was the father figure. Yeah. So for him to lose Tony like that, Peter is just trying to really find his way, and Happy is really trying to give him the pep talk he needs yeah. to really just say, hey, Tony wants you to take over. If Tony, Tony knew the risks, but he also knew you were there. Yeah. So you're going to be able to step up and do this. I think he has the line, you know, Tony wouldn't have done with what he did if he didn't know you were going to be there after he was gone. Right. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because as the trailer still kicks off in the beginning, you see him fighting in a restaurant Mm -hmm. with the iron spider suit. Yep. Note. Because you see the t- uh, the spider legs kick out and it's, yep. it's fighting off people. The eyes are glowing. Yeah. And you see him joking with the police that show up there, too, about... Let's say the police go, oh, are you going to be the next Iron Man? And he replies, oh, I don't have time to. I'm too busy doing your jobs. Yeah, just a, a playful quip. Let's say it's a Spider-Man quip. It's a, it's a Spider-Man quip, which, which I love, too, because, I mean, in his essence, that's what Spider-Man does. He's always dropping the one-liners, even though... Yeah. He's always been the, you know, and without the mask, he's always been like a quiet, timid guy. Yeah. And now just when he puts on the mask, it's like a whole new persona. But he's obviously just embracing it and, and he tells him, hey, I'm going on vacation, just giving you all a heads up. Yeah. And as you see, they, he's swinging by a building too. And now this is the infamous building shot mm-hmm. that we've talked a little bit about on the show. Yep. And I'm fully buying into it that this is going to wind up being the Baxter building. Or it could be something for Norman Osborn. You never know. It could be, but I'm going to go with the Baxter building. You don't see what they're doing. Just right. Like a building is getting rebuilt. Right. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar or don't know, if you look at the shot, there's it's the building, like it's the right in front of where Avengers Towers was in uh, Avengers 1. Like, you can see some of the building and some of the... There's a statue in the background that, like, you and you can clearly see, okay, something is being put in Avengers Tower's place because we know from, I think it was Age of Ultron, where it was said that the building got sold off. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, you see Nick Fury is trying to call in to <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah. And Spider-Man ghosts him. 
Yeah, yeah. Happy goes, hey, Nick Fury is calling you. You got to pick that up. And Spider Man goes, no, I don't want to talk to Nick Fury right now. He go and Happy goes, no, you need to talk to Nick Fury because if you don't talk to Nick Fury, he calls me and I have to talk to Nick Fury and I don't want to do that. Yes, Nick Fury definitely makes his presence felt throughout this film. And even tracks down Spider-Man when he's in Italy. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think he tracks him down. He knows where he is. Well, it's Nick Fury. He it's a matter where, of just getting He there. knows where everybody is. And he finds him in Italy. And obviously, they do show again the scene where he takes out Ned and mm-hmm. sneaks into his room to, and recruits him on the mission. And this is where we fully see uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Mysterio. Yep. And he's working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And the story they're going by is he's from an alternate universe. Yep which is completely blowing Spider-Man's mind right now. Right. Because he's like, what, is it a multiverse? Now, this is very interesting, but I, 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 I want to stress about this, though, in my unofficial ODPS, or ODPH guess. Mm-hmm. I don't think this, this is going to be the key that brings the Fantastic Four and the X-Men back. I'm just going to say this, and I know I'm beating a dead horse, and this horse is beyond dead. The X-Men and Fantastic Four will not be in this movie. I wasn't saying they were going to be in this no, movie. No, I know, but I know you're not saying, but I'm saying it. Because I know people are going to like, oh, multiverse, they're going to bring him in. No, they're not bringing in Patrick Stewart. They're not bringing in Ian McKellen. They're not bringing in Hugh Jackman. Stop. No, they're definitely not in this film. But with this being said about the the alternate universe and all that, I think it's kind of giving some fuel to the fire that this is how they're going to bring it in. It it could be something down the road. No. Where like like down the road, it could be, it might be. I don't think it will be, but it, it might be. No, I think that this is ultimately going to be Mysterio's play. That he's trying to make himself appear as a hero and appear as the good guy, and he's well, he's, he's doing his performance. Well, I mean that is going off an old Spider-Man co- or an old comic with with Mysterio. No, I I fully think that you know Mysterio is playing his game and and Fury is going along with it because the thing of it is, is Fury doesn't trust anybody. Right. You know, after what he's been through, Fury don't trust nobody. No. So the so the fact he's watching Mysterio and let alone working with him, it's yeah. like keep your enemies clo- or friends close and enemies closer. Yeah, I I think he knows what's fully going on with Mysterio's plan. He's well aware of it, and he's got a contingency plan in case things go sideways and and. It doesn't work out the way he wants it to. But I think at the same time, he's also letting Mysterio, he's stringing Mysterio along because the thing I think we got to remember, and they even say this in the trailer, you know, because Nick Fury recruits Spider-Man for this job. And he goes, why me? You know, what about Thor? Thor's off world. What about Captain Marvel? Unavailable. I'll even go further. What about Iron Man? He's dead. What about Cap? He's old. Yeah. Like there is none of the heavy hitters they have are available. I'm presuming now I'm presuming that they'll he'll mention Hulk and so, you know Hulk will get explained why he can't be there, but you know then you go you know, Hawkeye. Oh, I can't imagine them bringing Hawkeye for this mission. Uh, Black Widow, well, she's dead. You know, Doctor Strange, well, he's got to take care of, you know, the entire universe or th- the other dimension. Like he's the only one available. And I think, you know, if this is also Fury testing him going, "All right, a lot of our heavy hitters are gone or not available. You got to be willing to step up and and, and take some of the load. I want to see if you can do it. And I think the line where he goes, "Please, you've been to space." <laughs> that's awesome. That's just that, I, that's the we, we all know Sam Jackson's favorite uh, colorful word, mother. Well, you know, uh, I think this is as close as we're going to get to that in the Marvel movies. But here's my, I guess, a question I would ask too. This line almost seemed out of place for him as Nick Fury. That you've never really kind of seen him give that kind of emotional answer back about something like this. It, now it might be, but I also think it's him maybe assuming Spider-Man would be all for this and willing to take up the mantle. Because you remember from uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, he was incessantly calling Tony Stark about every single little thing he did and how much he wanted to be an Avenger and how much he wanted to take on the load. 
which you got to figure Nick Fury knows about this. So he goes into this thinking, all right, well, Spider-Man was willing to take up the load. He went into space and he fought Thanos. And then he was in the, the events of Endgame. He's willing to take up the load. And now he's 180 and gone, wait, what? You want me? No. Yeah, this is where I think Peter Parker is just dealing with the fact that now he is all grown up, so to speak. He's, he's dealing with a lot for a kid still in high school. Yes, because obviously we're still trying to figure out who got aged and who didn't with yeah. the result of Endgame. And yeah. we're going to find that more into play as we go on. But for me, though, like I said, when I heard this line, I started thinking, like, okay, I understand that they might have thrown this line in just for a humor line. And maybe I'm looking too much into it. And mm-hmm. I'll be the first one to tell you I am. Sure. But it almost seemed like... I don't know if that's Fury. I really don't. Just to, just for the simple fact that if he's working with Mysterio about whatever this mission is going to be. Right. And we don't really know the details yet either. I'll say we know they're going to be country hopping over in Europe. We see shots of the London Bridge over in London. Obviously, they're going to be in uh, uh, Venice, Italy. So they're going to be hopping countries over in, in Europe. So there's something going on that they need their help. And it's just, oh, hey, conveniently, conveniently you're in Europe. Right. So something is going on. I almost wonder if Fury didn't orchestrate the uh, Europe trip. You, you could wonder. Hmm. Like I would, I wouldn't doubt if Fury I'm just doing anything. Of that. But one one thing that I'm taking away from this is like it just kind of seems a Fury in this that we've seen a little bit is a little different than what we've seen him in previous incarnations yeah, that, in the MCU. Yeah, that's true. And now, like I said, maybe I'm looking into it. And like I said, my unofficial ODPH guess. I don't think that's Fury. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's the chameleon. Okay. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that maybe that's a big reveal later on. But I just have the sense because it almost seems that some of the lines that you hear him say in this film are just not true Nick Fury-ish, if I can use that term, yeah, just because yeah. he's always been so super serious that you don't really see him drop so much of those one-liners. But I don't know. I might be looking into it, but that's my unofficial guess, too, about this. But as we see, though, MJ has returned, and she now knows or has deducted that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Well, or she could be just playing a game and then saying it just to get a reaction out of him, and she doesn't really know, but who's you know we'll know when we see the movie. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's going to be another underlying theme going on throughout the movie because it looks like Peter and MJ are finally going to get together. Yeah. And obviously the forces that Mysterio and Spider-Man are fighting are preventing this from happening. I'll say it's going to be real hard for him to keep his identity secret where if the class is supposed to be in Europe and he goes country hopping, like it's going to be real hard to keep that secret. Like, oh, hey, where were you the last three days? Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play it out because the only other villains that we've seen, so to speak, at least the ones that I can tell, we've seen Hydro-Man mm-hmm, up the here. Elementals. Yep. And you've seen Molten Man. Yep. Which I, I'm guessing, I, I th- I'm i going to go on the limb and say that's them, or they're just yeah. elemental creatures yeah. that they're fighting. But it for me, for, for me, that's what it looks like. And obviously, you see Mysterio and Spider-Man teaming up, and you see Spider-Man at this point is wearing the stealth suit. Uh-huh. Which you wonder, okay, if he's got to break in somewhere, or why is he wearing a, a different suit like this? Like, is it, are they on a recon mission of some sort? Like, uh, the, only, the only thing that comes to mind is, you know, maybe London. They got to get into the Tower of London, or if they're in France, maybe they got to get into the Louvre, uh, the art museum, or the museum where the Mona Lisa is held. You know, I, I, it, the only reason I can see them bringing out the the you know stealth suit is he's got to get into somewhere super high security. Yeah, something's got to be going on that's forcing this, and it just kind of seems just very interesting that they're making Spider-Man go now into three suits in this episode or in this movie that we know of that we know of. And obviously when people see the stealth suit, we want to reiterate too: this is not venom. No. So nobody, Venom's not in the movie. Nobody starts tweeting that out either too, because I did read a couple of those. Yeah. It's not venom. It's just a regular stealth suit, kind of in the same vein as Spider-Man noir. 
Well, so yeah, if, if you're familiar with the Spider-Man PS4 game, there's like 30 suits in that thing. Right. Same thing. So, yeah, Spider-Man has a bunch of different suits, but it's not the Venom suit, so or kill that rumor. But to see whether he's going in this, like we say, we really don't know a lot about the plot other than there's a mission going on. It appears that Mysterio is a hero and saying yeah. he's from an alternate universe. Yeah. But I'm just not buying that. Well, and the other thing I think we should mention is when he says he's from another, you know, all he's from uh, Earth, but not our Earth, another Earth. The thing Fury says is that the snap tore a hole in this, the fabric of space and time, thus creating the multiverse. Early. I don't think necessarily creating the multiverse. I think at least, you know, weakening the walls between the universes. It's a very interesting theory. Yeah. And it's not to say that it's not right. I mean, like I say... We don't really know the true ramifications of everybody doing the snap. Right. I mean, because there are multiverses from, you just think of like the different outcomes during Endgame, you know, where you have, you know, Tony doesn't die. Tony does die. Cap goes back in time. Cap doesn't go back in time. Like there there are multiverses already, but eh, we'll find out. We're going to find out because I think that's going to be an underlying theme of the movie, too. Because, yeah. I mean, you could even take it as saying, well, you're far from home if you're on a different planet. Right. And I know a lot of people are going, well, why is this movie, you know, the end part of phase three when, you know, Endgame was the end part of the Infinity Saga? To me, this movie is almost feeling like a bridge between sagas, whatever the next one is going to be called, because the Infinity Saga is over and done with. Endgame was the end, you know, end scene for the Infinity saga this to me you know it doesn't feel like a throwaway movie but it feels like a bridge where it, it feels very reflective with with peter reflecting on on tony and iron man and what he met and what he does and the thing i did want to mention uh thanos was right you know back in infinity war he said i hope they remember you clearly they do yeah this is something that is just really interesting to see how it plays out because like we say with the end of phase three and this mm-hmm. is the official end of yep. phase three yep Going into what's going to be next is anybody's fair game. Because the only things that we know have been confirmed. There is an Eternals movie coming out. Uh Uh-huh. They are doing some casting. They are doing some casting that we'll kind of dig into a little later in the show. They are doing uh, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Yep. They are doing a Black Widow prequel, Mm -hmm. asterisk by that. Yeah. They are doing a sequel to Doctor Strange and a sequel to Black Panther. Mm Mm-hmm. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 yep. is in that mix yep. somewhere. I think I've read 2020, I think is when it's going to be filming. I believe so, too. Yeah. And where that's going to go is anybody's guess. Now, that being said, Spider-Man Far From Home is going to be kind of the bridge point like Pat touched upon. And I think he, he hit it right on the head. For wherever they go for the next phase. Because personally, I think the next phase is going to be Secret Wars. Oh, yeah. And especially if they are talking the multiverse and it's not a throwaway line. Like I say, for right now, as I'm watching the trailer and I'm interpreting it, I am saying it's a throwaway line just to kind of tease the fans a little bit. I don't think you you use that line just for grins and giggles. Like, ah, let's just throw it in there. I, I don't, now, it might not mean something now, but I don't think you introduce something as large as the multiverse just to throw it away. Right, which, I mean, it could entirely be the case. I just don't see it with Mysterio being the forefront leader of that, being the first one to come through an alternate right, timeline. Like, right, And Grant, we haven't seen the 616 version of Mysterio until now. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be all a ruse because he's a master of illusions. If you go through the comic history, oh, yeah. that's what he does. He, he has he, fooled many a person. Yes, he wants to think that he's the hero and he's the biggest star on the planet. So what better way than saving the world from your crazy illusions that you create? I mean, Mysterio is definitely a formidable foe. Like I say, you could go back to his run-ins with Daredevil 
And, mm-hmm. and you can go back to his runs with Spider-Man and other heroes. Oh, from yeah. The, the I remember him from the Spider-Man animated series in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. You, if he's done right, he's done very well. Oh, yeah. Don't let the fishbowl fool you. No. Which I think is, they did show that in the in the trailer again, too, which I like. Mm-hmm. They're keeping the classic Yeah, it, costume. Lo- it looks good. It looks good. It didn't look it didn't look bad at all. But I guess to close out the segment, Pat, final thoughts on the trailer. You know, I was already excited for this movie. I've always been a fan of Spider-Man and, and his stories and kind of everything about him. This, this just gets me even more excited. I absolutely love this trailer. I was so amped up to go get tickets for Spider-Man Far From Home after I saw this. Tom Holland has done such a phenomenal job mm-hmm. stepping in and taking over the role of Peter Parker and making it his own. Yeah. Which I don't think we get enough credit for. Like, I don't know how long they have him signed for, but they might want to start thinking extensions if they can get uh, They've still got they've got him for, I want to say, six movies. Okay. Good. He the, ain't going nowhere. The more, the better, in my opinion. And to see where they go from this, obviously, with Mysterio, and if they do do my unofficial ODPH theory, they're going to be set up for the Sinister Six. Okay. I have a feeling. Well, to be fair, Sony's only wanted to do the Sinister Six for the better part of 16 years. Right, but now that you can slowly see the parts moving, because, I mean, Michael Keaton's Vulture. Yeah, they did tease it at the end of Homecoming. Right, is still involved in some way, shape, or form. I'll say, but legitimately, go back in the history of the Spider-Man movies, Sony's wanted to do the Sinister Six for 16 years. Yeah, but depending on what version they wanted. Yeah, that's true. Because there's there's different ways you could do it. You could almost do it like the Secret Foes of Spider-Man. Yeah. Comic, which you know is was a great book in its own right. I, I just I'll just say this: if they want to do the Sinister Six and they want to reintroduce uh, the Green Goblin, don't do the Green Goblin they've done for two trilogies now. Uh, do the Ultimates, Ultimate Spider-Man Green Goblin. They have to do a the different monster, version. you know, Hulk-sized Green Goblin. That one's awesome. Yeah, they need to do something different because if, if they just do the typical. You know, Green Goblin. Yeah, well, seen the, the glider and the bombs. Yeah, unless of course they do one thing that I—I I mean, I didn't think about it at first, but unless they want to try going and making him like the Dark Rain Norman Osborn, hmm. and they try going that route. Interesting. Which I don't. I'm just saying, I'm not sure how I think of that because that could go right. The book I'm thinking is Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Okay. Too, by the way, to clear up. But it's just one of one of the areas that going forward with this, Spider-Man is definitely going to be one of the major faces of the MCU moving forward. And obviously with the loss of Iron Man, it's going to take a heavy toll on him. To see where he goes and becomes the next phase of his superhero legacy is going to be really fun to watch. I'm super excited about this. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that social media. Hit us up with that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about Spider-Man Far From Home? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and this Friday, them agents are back. Yes, sir. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returns Mm -hmm. on a very, very surprising move, but we're super excited about that here on the panel. Yes, Agents of Shield was written off. Last season was the ser- it felt like the series finale. They wrote it as the series finale because when at the time of when it aired, they weren't quite sure what was going to happen, whether they were going to be canceled or not and not brought back for a sixth season or if they were going to be brought back for a sixth season. Right, and they wrote it, I mean, the episode was almost perfect. Yeah, it ties everything up in a bow and it leaves it, you know, off, but it also leaves it that like, oh, if they want to do more, they can. Right, because as we left off, our heroes were coming back from space and and did one of the wilder time jump so to speak mm-hmm. and obviously the main villain last year was graviton so they were time jumping before the avengers were right and there's a lot of time travel that goes on especially if you follow the character of fitz yep so who is mortally wounded in one timeline but they've now frozen him in the present so he's not dead in the future 
it, it comics, folks, mm-hmm. comics. But as we stand now after the aftermath of episode five, or season five, rather, yep. Coulson went with May to you know Tahiti, enjoy, Tahiti to because, enjoy his last days because it's a wonderful place, right? Because obviously he is, you know, obviously dealing with the ramifications of losing his Cree serum that was keeping him alive, and mm-hmm. then now. As we fast forward, Mac is now in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D., appointed by Daisy, yep. who obviously cleared her name from the future that was saying that she was going to be the destroyer of worlds after taking the serum that was meant for Coulson to defeat uh, Graviton. There's so much going on. Mm-hmm. And as we jump in now, though, with the trailer, and we are going to be talking spoilers about that, we do see a spaceship to start off, and Coulson is on the beach and it's, and it's re- reliving his last days with May. We'll say it's a flashback. It's a flashback, and then you kind of see... Fitz is still frozen, mm-hmm. and uh, we're presuming on that ship, too. Yeah, Enoch's ship, yep. And then as we move forward, to, we kind of see everybody's back at the lighthouse, which turned into the S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ. Yep. Obviously, you know, the helicarrier is not around at this point. Yep. And Mac is slowly rebuilding the S.H.I.E.L.D. army without Nick Fury, and that all, we can tell. Right, and if, and if I remember right, there was a, about a five-minute or so teaser look at the first episode released a couple of months ago, and, and the feeling I got from that was... Shield can operate in the open again. Now they're not at their former strength. They're nowhere near the power and ability they had to handle things back pre uh, fall of Shield. But they at least can no, don't have to hide in the shadows anymore and, and play the oh we're just you know the federal enforcement ha ha, ha you know oh shucks yeah. you know they can they can show up and be like oh yeah we're Shield yeah this is where they can finally come out of the open come out to the open mm-hmm. as they've been kind of being more covert. Obviously, dealing with a lot of ramifications involving Captain America: Winter Soldier, and I mean, going through how this show has been so tightly wrapped around the MCU, and even stronger in certain points than than others. Yeah. So they definitely reflect the the events going on with Endgame mm-hmm. to a degree. Like, are you going to find out maybe a couple details that you didn't know about from Endgame? Sure, maybe yeah, it, it could happen. But as the show started on its original premise, it was coming off the heels of the Avengers movie. And then to see where it's grown now that Phil Coulson, who was the linchpin about bringing the Avengers together, mm-hmm. is no longer here. Yep. That we find out May confirms that Phil did pass away. Mm-hmm. And she has now rejoined the team. And when they're kind of going through, Mac is at the lighthouse and he sees about a threat coming. We see that somebody has invaded Earth, it looks like. Yeah. And out of this big cloud of smoke, you see an 18-wheeler come barreling down. Yeah. And we don't know what's going on here. Just no. somebody is here. Somebody has invaded Earth. And as we start looking into it, we do see a familiar face, mm-hmm. but it's not the real face. Well, that they, we know they of. don't know that, but you know they just see a familiar face show up. Right, and it is that of Phil Coulson, mm-hmm. who and they're like, which you know May presumably just got done telling him, no, nah, he's dead. And, oh, hey, there he is, walking towards us. Right, and as he's the one that is part of this eighteen wheeler that's coming out with a group that we haven't seen before, but they're definitely here on a mission, and it's mm-hmm. for no good. Yeah, they're not here for uh, milk and cookies. Obviously, everybody is shocked to see their former commander in chief there walking around. Yeah. And obviously doing some very unfill Coulson-like moves, mm-hmm. which is bringing up to the point of, okay, wait, how is this Coulson when we know Coulson has been killed off? Yeah. So this is where it gets very interesting. And this will kind of be, I think, the major story point of the season is who is this character? Now, where I read is the character was supposed to be named Sarge. Okay. Now, I have been trying to get some more information on that. Unfortunately, digging through the web, I haven't really found a lot. So I'm going to just say for our, our 
segment purpose, we're just going to call the evil Coulson Sarge. Okay. So as we see, Sarge is with a group of mercenaries mm-hmm. that are on Earth, and we really don't know what's going on. We do know one is named Malachi mm-hmm. that is with him, and there's another character that they did show briefly named Izel. Mm-hmm. That is, we're not sure what her story is going to be involving them. Maybe kind of, yeah. ex- she is on the run from them, yeah. and they're trying to get her for whatever reason. The one thing about Shield, though, is past seasons they've been dealing with a lot more of being in space and kind of tying into. I don't want to say like the Captain Marvel side of things, yeah. but they have been dipping a little bit more towards that, especially with season five. Yeah. So I could definitely see this kind of coming into factor as they're showing that this team is now on earth and they're kind of running around and you see different things going on that, you know, there's fights going on and you see at one point Mac versus Sarge. Yeah. Which is wild to see. It's wild to think about too. Yeah. Because the team here is just outright shocked that they're seeing their former commander now fighting them. Right. Cause everyone on that team and anyone who's ever met him has the utmost respect for Phil Coulson, like and everything he's done and everything he's laid on the line just to like, can you imagine being like a, a, a uh, someone who works at shield walking into a room and you see the face of your former director, your former boss fighting your new boss and going, wait, what? And especially he makes a line too. Cause when they have may captured at one point, they say, I, this is the first time I've ever been on a planet and somebody's recognized me. Mm-hmm. And but he's like, but I'm not who you think I am, right? Which is really interesting to see because now this kind of opens up some cans of worms that you know we'll get into after we give, give the breakdown of the trailer. Because as as it goes on further, though, you're starting to see more fighting going on. Like we said, Mac and Coulson, and you see May involved in a sword fight with somebody. Mm-hmm. Which I don't like that other person's odds. I don't it's either. May. It's May. She's pissed off. Yeah, you have an angry May. Look out. Like she has been arguably their strongest member on that team. Mm-hmm. And if you have her angry, look, you're not going to make it out of there. Yeah. Not in one piece. And as they kind of jump around, you do see Fitz, they're going to unlock Fitz from whatever K- or, uh, stasis he's in. Yep. From, you know, the catatonic state. So, I mean, this is going to just be really interesting just to see where it goes forward. Now, where I'm kind of interpreting this is okay, we had in Captain Marvel the introduction of scrolls. Right. Is it possible? that scrolls are going to be getting factored into here. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time somebody impersonated Phil Coulson as a scroll. Right. Which it could be another case of that happening. Could be. And especially who's to say that the that the Phil Coulson we've known for years wasn't a scroll post Tahiti. That is true. We don't know. I mean, there's a there's a lot of moving parts that are going on. All, with all we know is Phil Coulson disappeared after he died in Avengers uh, one, and then he reappeared on Agents of Shield, and he was okay. Yeah, and but then, there's a lot in between the like we kind of know the details of, but we really don't. Yeah, there's so many moving parts going on with that too. That it's, it's very tough to kind of figure out because one thing that I was getting told by a couple uh, listeners is the villain of Captain Marvel, Talos, mm-hmm. the scroll. Apparently is in the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, too. Okay. In the background of when they're showing the school scene. Okay. So who's to say that, okay, well, we have a scroll pop-up here. We're having one pop-up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe we're leaning towards the next direction. It's going to be Secret Invasion. We'll say they have been mentioning Kree for a hot minute on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And you know if you mention Kree, Captain Marvel's name is really attached. Not mm-hmm. saying that Captain Marvel is scheduled to appear on the show. No, she'll get name drop though. She'll get name dropped, of course. But where the connection goes further from here, who knows? It could be anything. We might, at the worst case scenario, we're going to see the development of S.W.O.R.D. Could be. On the show, which I think is sorely needed, especially with the amount of cosmic uh, properties that are now getting developed for yeah. Marvel. So yeah. this this will be something really to watch. 
And with Shield too, especially seeing how far they've come too. I mean, this trailer definitely looked interesting. Yeah. I'm really not sure how I feel about it just yet. I'm excited for it. I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued, but I don't know the direction they're going to go in because obviously we see Coulson now leading a different group. Right. We don't know what their mission is. We don't know why they're on Earth. Right. And we don't know why Coulson is, <laughs> this character is looking like Coulson if he's not Coulson. Right. I mean, I get the feeling with this, though, because we know there's this upcoming season six, and if I'm not mistaken, there's a season seven coming yes. afterwards. I get the feeling that given the fact that they know, okay, we're getting a new another season, we're getting a season after that. I get the feeling that this might be one of the few times, if it might be the first time, we will have a story not just contained within one season that it might spread into at least maybe the first half of next season. So this is going to be a long, overarching story. Well, if memory serves me right, this is a short order, too. This okay. this season, this is not going to be a full um, slate. It's going to be like okay. broken up season six and season seven. Okay. And it depends, too, if the ratings are good they could go on to do season eight. Right. I don't know if it would be necessarily on ABC. I could see it definitely going to Disney Plus at some point. Disney Disney Plus is uh, coming out in November. Right. So who knows what the future is going to hold? The only thing we do know is there's going to be a season six and there's going to be a season seven. And like I said, I think it's on like a split season two. So it's going to be like a continuation. Right. Which makes a lot of sense too. Because if to try dragging out a full season, especially going into the middle of summer, is going to be tough for viewers to watch. Mm -hmm. But it's not to say it's impossible either. No. But to see the agents come back, I think, is truly a, gr- a great thing. I mean, oh, Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the years has just developed into so much more than from when it really started out. And I know I've been extremely critical on the show about the first season where every episode is like, hey, you know, we're the Avengers. Hey, about the incident in New York. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. They, they've really stepped out of that shadow. Season four was the best one. And obviously, we're going to get into one shots of saying about the best thing that came out of season four. Mm-hmm. To see season five now evolve into what it's evolved to, and obviously coming back for another season, that is going to be something really special to watch. Oh yeah, where they go with this is anybody's guess. But any final thoughts on the trailer, Pat? Real interesting trailer. Can't wait to see where they go with it, and can't wait to see the the kind of resolution of what the heck is Coulson like in terms of what is he? Yeah, to see Coulson return is a great thing. Clark Gregg does an awesome job on the show, and where they're going to go with this, I don't know. Like, very intrigued by this. Don't really have a speculation of, like, are they going to go to a storyline? Except right. if I have to make an unofficial ODPH guess, uh, this will be the start of Secret Invasion. So get ready, folks. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. return and trailer? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, kick us off with those one-shots. Well, we've got to talk a little bit of Star Wars news, because there was some interesting Star Wars news. This week. Um, first thing I'm going to get to is we might have a little tease at how Emperor Palpatine is going to be returning in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, now, this comes from a novel that was recently released called Star Wars Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray. 
Uh, reading through it myself, great book. Uh, highly recommended if you're a Star Wars fan. But the book is set before uh, the movies, uh, specifically when Qui-Gon is first taken on Obi-Wan as his apprentice. And one of the things uh, in the book that Qui-Gon is having Obi-Wan do is go through the temple archives and look at uh, look at you know prophecies and research prophecies for what we don't quite know, but they're looking at prophecies. Of course, the Chosen One prophecy comes up, but there's an interesting one that comes up uh, that's says quote when the righteous lose the light evil once dead shall return Hmm. now obviously everyone knows Hmm. prophecies have a very large part in star wars and more often than not they're not just thrown around for fun and throwaway lines uh if you read into it a little bit personally uh when the righteous lose the light well uh light is could be read as Luke Skywalker dying. Uh, evil once dead shall return. Hmm, what's evil once dead? Well, you listen to the end of the Rise of Skywalker trailer. There is that cackle. That does make a lot of sense if that's could the be. case. Could I, be. I don't doubt any kind of Easter eggs like that coming yeah. from the Star Wars verse. Of course, the other bit of Star Wars news that dropped today, not totally surprising, but somewhat surprising news, was, uh, of course, you know the end of the Skywalker saga is coming at the end of this year. Uh, there will be a little bit of a hiatus, but there will be uh, the first of three new Star Wars movies starting in 2022. Uh, they, they will follow in uh, you know two, every one every two years, where you got 2022, 2024, and 2026. Now, no, the movies haven't been titled. They haven't been said what they are. Of course, we do know Ryan Johnson is working on his trilogy, and then the creators of the game of thrones tv series are also working on something i would lean to say it's probably going to be uh ryan johnson's trilogy because if memory serves that one was announced first before the game of thrones creators ones uh were so that'd be my guess is what they're going to be uh if it's boba fett's trilogy i'm down for it uh, who knows all, all the only thing we know is that the ryan johnson trilogy will be set in a time yet to be explored in star wars hmm very interesting take they're going to do with that. So yes. I'm very intrigued to see it. Mm-hmm. I know there's been some talk that Avatar is going to be returning around that point, too. Uh, that'll happen when it happens. Yeah, don't don't hold a lot of breath on that one. You know, so James Cameron has been working on Avatar for, geez, since I was still in high school. And I, you know, but of course, everyone might, you know, might remember when Avatar came out. And I think it was 2009 or whenever it was. And it, you know, set the record at the box office or you know, it's currently at the time. Cur- at the time, it's the box office record, and as we record, it's the box office record. But uh, by this time next week, it might not be. Uh, but you know, as as we record, it is the box office record holder for most money made in the box office. And and you know, over the course of the, the, the these last ten years or so, James Cameron saw oh, I'm working on a sequel. Okay, at the time that made sense. All right, we're like, all right, you just made the highest grossing film of all time that made over two billion dollars of course you're gonna make a sequel and then it was oh i'm still working on it oh it's delayed oh i'm all i'm not just working on two i'm working on two three four and five well we got the news today that disney has pushed back the release dates of Jan- of his sequels uh they announced where avatar 2 had been slated to open december 18th of 2020 however it's been pushed back almost a full year uh that being december 17th 2021 avatar 3 was originally scheduled to release on december 17th 2021 but that's been pushed back uh, to the December 22nd, 2023. I've been saying it for 10 years and I'll continue to say it. One, I'll believe it when I see it, they're coming out. He's been saying that, you know, Avatar 2 is com- coming for the last 10 plus years. I'll believe it when I see it. Two, I don't think this is going to make as, you know, a sequel is going to make as much money as the first one did because I think he has vastly missed the boat on writing a sequel for this. Because you look at, you know, 
movies and, and the lasting impact they've left on culture. Like everyone who saw Titanic when Titanic was in theaters remember seeing Titanic and the talk about Titanic and kind of the fervor with Titanic. What does anyone remember about Avatar? Like what's been the lasting impact on 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 pop culture from Avatar? Okay, it made 3D cool for a hot minute. And, and admittedly, it was very good 3D. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, you know, the 3D fad, it kind of spawned has fizzled out. Nobody really sees 3D anymore and, and movies really don't do 3D anymore. It's it's had no lasting impact. And, and you know, if he would have done this in, say, the first three, maybe four years after the first one came out, it would have made some money. Now, I don't think it will. No, I have to agree with you. I mean, for its time, Avatar was visually impressive. And yeah. and, and if you're going to watch a 3D movie, that's the one you watch. Like, that's to this day the one time I've seen a movie that, like, my jaw genuinely dropped, and specifically the floating mountain scene. Like, you yeah. see that in 3D, that is visually stunning. Yeah, it's visually impressive. Like, the whole movie is visually great. Script-wise, eh. It's okay. Yeah. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I do watch James Cameron movies, though. I do think he does great work. And, but honestly, like I'm not like chomping at the bit for a sequel. For no, this, and I, and even, let alone how many more are coming. Neither am I. Like I own the DVD copy that came out like the, a year after the movie came out, where it's the theatrical cut, extended edition, and the director's cut. I haven't watched it since I got it in 2010. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just something about it, like, for its time, it was good, but I don't know if it's too much time gone and is is the market still there for it. So to yeah. see them come back, they got to come back really strong. Not saying they can't do it, but I'll tell you what, I'm not exactly circling the date on my calendar. I'll just say the yet. eight ball will be very close behind them. Right, so we'll have to wait and see if that movie shows up. Another movie we're going to have to wait and see about. Yeah. New Mutants. Yeah, so that's the other one. You know, one of the one things that came out today is, uh, you know, Disney's making all sorts of news. Uh, cleaning house, of course, it is springtime doing some spring cleaning. Uh, at, you know, after many years, of course, there's been a long-rumored Gambit movie with Channing Tatum in the works. It's been in proverbial development hell for years. That's been finally put out of its misery, if you will, and, Disney, and the uh, movie's been removed from the film release schedule, so that's dead in the water. There were three untitled Fox Marvel movies on the calendar uh, dated... Uh, June 26th, 2020, October 2nd, 2020, and then March 5th, 2021. Those have all been removed from uh, the schedule, film release schedule. So that's kind of the writing on the wall that once Dark Phoenix and New Mutants, if that thing ever sees the light of day, the, the Fox Marvel universe is officially done, you know, put to bed and you won't ever hear from it again. But of course, uh, New Mutants was supposed to come out. I believe it was in August of this year. That has been now pushed back to what is it like March of next year? 2020, yeah. yeah. It, the, it, it's almost to the point now, just put it on Hulu and call it a day. Well, because the thing of it is, is, the last I'd heard, they still need to do reshoots, which haven't happened yet. Yeah, this is just, it's it's sounding so bad for where the promise was with this one. Like, I'm, I'm what, so disappointed like, about this. The last I'd heard was it was uh, Maisie Williams, who of course is going to be in the movie, was doing some press for Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of people's first opportunity to ask her about this movie because people have been anticipating this movie for a while now. And and people asked her, you know, oh, what's the word on on New Mutants? And she and she said, you know, in as many words, you know, I know we still have to do reshoots, but I don't know when or if those are even going to happen. Not sounding good. It, it's never a good thing when one of your main stars doesn't know when something's going to happen. No. So wait and see on New Mutants. Hopefully that sees the light of day at some point. But until then, who knows? 
And we got one more one-shot pad? Yeah. So there's been some interesting news. Of course, we, we kind of alluded to it earlier. What's the future at, uh, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Now that Thanos is, is taken care of, you know, what, what's going to be next? Well, one of the next movies coming down the pike that they're doing some casting for is going to be Marvel's Eternals. Uh, Ken, you want to, for those who don't know, what are the Eternals? Okay, the Eternals in a nutshell are genetically enhanced humans that the Celestials kind of tinkered with. Uh, the easiest way to describe them is they're very loosely based off like the Greek gods. Okay, it, it's kind of like you know how when we compare superheroes from Marvel and DC, they kind of yeah. run in the same vein. Yeah, this is like Marvel's version of the new gods to a degree. Yep, like they're very interesting and they they have a very unique history with Marvel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're huge uh, antagonists were the Deviants, and they've gone through stretches where I mean they're not household names. Right, but they have had an impact in Marvel, and I know they've had different runs throughout the years. I, I know one was an Avenger at one point, Cersei. Yep. So to see what they're doing with this movie, and I know they've added Hercules to the cast of this too. Right, is really interesting, and I know they. I believe they. You, were, you were break down the casting they did. Yeah, no. So Angelina Jolie, interestingly enough, has been cast in this movie. We're gonna get Angelina Jolie in a Marvel movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm banging she's Cersei. Yeah. So then you've got, uh, and I apologize if I. Uh, Butcher this name, Kumali Ninjani. Uh, you the you might know the face, but you might not know the name. Uh, he's probably best known for you know he was in Central Intelligence with Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. Uh, he was in Life as We Know It and The Big Sick. Uh, but interestingly, they have cast one Richard Madden, or they're in talks to have Richard Madden star in the movie. Uh, Ken, who is he again? He is Rob Stark, mm-hmm. the original King of the North. Yeah. So seeing him join the movie, and I think he's playing Icarus, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Or the, that's what people are kind of casting. That's as. the rumor he's going with. Okay, that makes sense. That's a big move. This movie is going to be really interesting when it comes out. And right. and I, I say this, Marvel has taken some shots with characters over the years. I mean, who would have thought Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man would have been box office smashes? Well, I mean, to be fair, the Iron Man was also a risk at the box office because at the time the movie came out, he wasn't exactly an AAA A+. Player in the Marvel universe, right? But the difference is, though, I think with Iron Man, is more people knew about that, Iron that, Man. Yeah, that's true. To really say, hey, we're going to push Ant Man. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, I mean, Ant Man's been around for years. Same with the Guardians, which the Guardians only had the recent res- renaissance with you know the uh, Abnett and Landing run and going from there. It, mm-hmm. It's it, for them to really take a shot with Eternals is truly saying something. And I'm I'm very intrigued by it. I yeah. I don't know exactly what to think about it. Um, but to, it, I don't try. I don't doubt Marvel at no. all. That until they make a bad movie, I'm not doubting them. Yeah, this is something that you know to see them move forward. I don't know exactly the direction they're going to go with this, but I'm not doubting them. No. But like I said, they they pulled off magic with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, yeah. a lot with the Andy Landing and Dan Abnett run, which I absolutely love. That run for me, that is my go to run for the Guardians. I don't doubt them doing the Eternals. Just Eternals is going to be a tough sell, in my opinion, because, it, like I say, you have to really get into the cosmic factor with like the Greek, Greek mythology and going from there. It's not to say it can't be done, but it's going to be really something to do, but I never doubt Marvel. Never. So, wow. like the casting and going to wait and see what they got moving forward. Yeah. So, for my one shots, I got, you know, I shout Cloak and Dagger out, and this week's episode, Olivia Holt puts on the performance of the series thus far going through this. I'm going to be talking some spoilers going through when she was kidnapped and she was getting drugged and just reliving like the worst moments of her life. 
in different time frames that you know she's kind of getting shown what could what could have happened but didn't and you now know who the true villain is of this season and just the performance she did which she essentially played four versions of herself right throughout the episode and i mean Aubrey Joseph did a great job as well too you know he always just wanted to be in that timeline too this was just our Olivia's best performance though i think to date just what goes on throughout that entire episode and just to see the different variations of you know Tandy in her own head and what goes forth obviously with what is going on in the real world with her and i really pity the villains that are going to be dealing with cloak next episode yeah they're, they're not going to be happy they are in some serious trouble and i think aubrey joseph is going to absolutely crush that episode but olivia holt i cannot compliment that episode enough freeform thursday nights watch it on demand you need to see this episode folks absolutely need to see this episode uh-huh. and for my last one shot we kind of alluded to it when we were talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I am super excited about this. It has now been announced that on Hulu, uh-huh. not Disney+, Plus, nope. Hulu, they are going to do a live-action Ghost Rider and Hellstrom uh-huh. series. Now, Ghost Rider is going to be the Robbie Reyes version that we saw Gabriel Luna play on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, and he absolutely killed that role. Uh-huh. If you were not a fan of that version of Ghost Rider by the time you got done watching that season, there was no help for you. He did an amazing job, so they're going to kind of spin his character out. There, I don't think there's going to be a connection to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they're going to really emphasize about what happened on his time on the show. They might reference it, but I, I feel like they're not going to spend entire episodes about it. It might just be something they reference maybe at the beginning of the first episode, and then they go from there. Yeah, just kind of in a vague reference, but yeah. I don't know where this is going to go. This could possibly lead into maybe a Johnny Blaze appearance on the show my fingers are still crossed it's going to be norman reedus playing that role oh, well if only now the only reason i say they might reference it at the beginning of the first episode is you're you i get the feeling because it's you know it's it's this character it is much of a following as this character has from over the years that there's gonna be a lot of people jumping into this without having seen a minute of agents of shield and and they're not gonna you know disney marvel abc aren't gonna sit there and go hey you need to go watch this uh one couple episodes from uh agents of shield season you know past where to really understand what's going on no they're just gonna they might give you a five minutes cliff notes spark notes here's what happened here's what you need to know and go right so this is obviously very cool to see that they're taking a shot doing especially on hulu because we've been very very talkative about would they do a darker character on hulu instead of disney plus this is well yeah that this kind of just goes back to what we've been hearing and i think what disney themselves announced where you know the disney plus service will be more of a family oriented service where you know pg maybe even pushing the borders a little bit but since disney does control a a major percentage of hulu they can do what they want and, and put on there what they want yeah so this definitely is going to be a great show i'm super super excited about this and the hellstrom series this is going to be interesting because from what i'm reading from variety they're saying that damien and anna hellstrom are the son and daughter of a mysterious and powerful serial killer now mm. if you know anything about them in the comics um yeah that's a true case and this is not going to be one for the kids folks no this is this is not one you watch in like a saturday afternoon no this is going to be definitely a different tone a different feel it's going to be very dark it's going to be brooding it's going to be a good show i i, I truly feel that if, if you really like your you know very dark crime drama so to speak with a supernatural twist this is going to be up your alley like this maybe should be what Constantine should have been when it originally came out. Yeah, probably. To a degree. To a degree. This is 
difference in characters, though, so I don't want to, you know, do the comparison like that. But just the fact that Disney's taking a shot with them is really something to see. And like I said, this might open the door for more Spirit of Vengeance characters to, or Midnight Suns characters, however you want to define the Ghost Rider family to appear on the small screen is going to be good. And like I said, if Norman Reedus can break away from Walking Dead, we need him to do a Johnny Blaze series. Well, I think he's even been vocal about doing it. He's been vocal about it, but he stays loyal to Walking Dead. Which, yeah, which he's a little busy with that. Right, but you never know. I mean, this might give him a little breakaway to come and appear on a couple episodes, and if he rolls up shooting a Hellfire shotgun, <laughs> look out. <laughs> look out. That's all we got for this week. Make sure to check out OchoDuroParleyHour.com to interact with us on social media. For Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenem. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. See you next time. (laughs) 